0: I did not make the best decisions in college. Part of that was, I mean, it's acceptable stuff, like nothing that we would turn your nose up at, but I was a tad bit of a moron. I I can remember uh, I loved professional wrestling. If I'm being transparent, I still love professional wrestling. I'm not, I don't watch it as much as I once did. People have conversations with me about how fake it is. It's not fake, it's fixed. Those are different things. I had a group of friends in the middle of what was called the Monday Nitro, Monday Night Raw War, and they would come to the arena, which was not very far from my house. And when you live in the southeast, you have to make a decision, and that is you were a WCW guy because we were more wrestling than wrestling. So we camped out for tickets one night. Like this is grown men's stuff. We're in our 20s. We're camping out for tickets. And we met some gentlemen that were odd. Now, they more than likely thought we were odd, but in retrospect, I know they were odd because I watched these gentlemen do wrestling moves on one another down a hill, and I thought someone's going to break their neck here. How do I get in on that? So we're just interacting with one another. We, we got to be friends. We told them about a Taekwondo studio in our neighborhood that had a boxing ring behind it, and it was dilapidated, torn up, completely awful, So these gentlemen that we had just met for the first time decided that they would go fix it up. And somehow they got my phone number because I gave it to them. And when they fixed up the ring, one day after church, I showed up and these full-grown men were having wrestling matches in this ring. And I'm watching and thinking to myself, am I supposed to go in there at this point? Wrestling is something that I've always loved. And, it, it, and when we look at it, we know that there's a build-up to it. And everything had been building toward that moment for us to stand there together and decide who was the real champion. But in all of that, I noticed, I realized, I acknowledged that they were way more into this than I was. Which is pretty rough in retrospect because I was pretty much into it. I had t-shirts and stuff. Greater. When we get to the story of Exodus today in chapter 5 and chapter 6, we are seeing that. We are seeing a confrontation between two forces that are at war with one another. And as we look at this confrontation, we notice that they are making claims as to who is the greater of the two. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the story of Exodus, there's a man named Moses. He was given this very odd opportunity to live in the home of Pharaoh. He knew that he was a Jewish man. He tried to overpower the Egyptians while he was still living in that home. He did not do this in the way that God would want. He was sent to the wilderness for a long time. He thought that he would be the the deliverer of Israel from Egypt. But that time has passed. And when we meet him in Exodus chapter 5, he's around 80 years old. He can't speak very well. He has a brother named Aaron. Aaron also is uh, 83 years old. So we have this geriatric crew walking in to meet with the king of the world. And when we get there, we see that they are representing Yahweh... And Pharaoh is representing himself and the entire pantheon of Egyptian gods. And we have a central idea for today. It's it's pretty much two words. God wins. In this confrontation between God and anything that is not God, God wins. And we'll notice in the text how we see him winning, why he happens to win. He wins because he's faithful. Or he wins because he's patient. He wins because he's faithful. He wins because He's consistent. He wins and shows that He's with us. And we see our God win in this passage. Now, if you are a believer in Jesus, that is your God. You belong to Him and He belongs to you. You are with Him. If you are not in right relationship with Jesus, meaning that you've never trusted in the broken body of Jesus and His shed blood for your salvation, then you're not with Him yet. But all the while, He's inviting you into His victory. He's inviting you into right standing with Him. And He's inviting you to depart from what sin is and to enter into the hope that He happens to be. So I'm going to look at the text a little differently than I usually do. Uh, Exodus chapter 5, I'm going to read through chapter 5. We'll spend some time there. Spend some time in chapter 6 in a few moments. And then in chapter 7, the first five verses. Later, Moses and Aaron went, into the, went in and said to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness but Pharaoh responded who is this Lord that I should obey him by letting Israel go I don't know the Lord and besides I will not let Israel go this question who is the Lord is incredibly important not only to this passage but to every soul represented in this room who is God who is he? And for this Pharaoh, he has no real reason to align himself nor believe in this God. After all, this God, who has had the audacity to send these two men into his courtroom and to plead for the people to be released, is a God who is honestly underneath him in the eyes of Pharaoh. Why should I release these people? What will you do? You're the God who got them into captivity. At least this would be the approach of a Pharaoh who believed himself to be God. They answered, The God of the Hebrews, He has met with us. Please let us go on a three-day trip into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, or else He may strike us with plague or sword. Now this is etiquette at the time. This is not all that God wants, but the way that the, from everything that I've read and the interactions that I've had with, with different historical teachings is if you were in this world and you were asking for some type of worship, some type of stepping away from your responsibility and duty, would it be okay if we take a three-day journey? And if the answer to that question is yes... Then you would say, well, if it pleases the Pharaoh, well, can we just do this? And it would build and build and build. If he says yes, the, the, yes, if he, the yes, then the request would increase in this polite interaction. This shouldn't be a problem. From what we know of history, Egypt would let various ser- groups that were in servitude uh, go and worship their God and then come back. The problem is, as we look at this text, God, Yahweh, is speaking from the place of power. God himself is saying, You should let these people go. He's not asking, He's not requesting, He's not, He is requiring Pharaoh to do this. And Pharaoh's respi- reply is, Who is he? I don't need to obey him. Pharaoh, ironically, is his own version of I am. He believes himself to be self-sufficient and he believes himself to be all-powerful. He was believed to have unlimited power. His will could not be changed. He believed that he was a divine force in the world and symbolically he was treated as if he spoke things into existence. However, Yahweh has unlimited power. Yahweh cannot be challenged. Yahweh is divine. And Yahweh did speak things into existence. This is setting up the moment where we have to figure out, is this God greater than me? This is setting up where God will humiliate Pharaoh over the next few chapters. When confronted with the might of Yahweh, sin is a careless relentless, ruthless tyrant. We talk about the gospel as Christians in the year of our Lord, 2023, a good bit. We've used it as an adjective probably more than we should. Gospel's a thing. It is what God does. It is the act of God on our behalf. It is the good news of Jesus. It is not an adjective. It is the noun for which every adjective should be pushing toward. We look and we see what this gospel, and this is a gospel story. This is a gospel story of Yahweh saying to a relentless tyrant, let my people go. And the story of the good news of Jesus is this. God says to sin in each and every one of our lives, release my people, let them go. You don't have power over them. The king of Egypt, however, saw himself as all-powerful and he said to them in verse 4, Moses and Aaron, why are you causing the people to neglect their work? Get to your labor." Look at the people of the land. They're so numerous and you would stop them from working. Pharaoh does not want to acknowledge Yahweh at all in the same way that your sin does not want to acknowledge God at all. Our sin leads to some pretty difficult, dangerous places as well because as Pharaoh is interacting with these people, he is pointing and you see the growth of his cruelty and his harshness toward these people because sin leads us towards cruelty and harshness. Verse 6, the Pharaoh commanded the overseers of the people as well as their foremen, don't continue to supply the people with straw for making bricks as before. They must go, they must gather straw for themselves, but require the same quota of bricks from them as they were making before. Do not reduce it. So I'm going to add to their workload and expect the same amount of work. This is a harsh, cruel way to approach a people who are subservient to you. They are slackers. That's why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Impose heavier work on them. Then they will be occupied with it and it will not pay attention to deceptive words. And they will not pay attention to the deceptive words. This man Moses, this man Aaron, they are a problem. We need to step away from them as a problem. So the overseers and the foremen, uh, the people went and they said to them, this is what Pharaoh says. I'm, giving you, I'm not giving you straw. Go get straw wherever you can find it, but there will be no reduction at all of your workload. So the people scattered throughout the land to gather stubble for straw. The overseers insisted, finish your assigned work each and every day, just as you did when the straw was provided. Then the Israelite foreman, whom, who Pharaoh's slave drivers had set over the people, they were beaten and they were asked, why haven't you finished making your prescribed number of bricks yesterday or today, as you did before sin?" Pharaoh, pouring more and more weight, more and more oppression onto these people, continuing to squeeze the life out of them. So the Israelite foreman went. He cried for help to Pharaoh. Why are you treating us this way? The straw's been given to your servants. Yet they say to us, make bricks. Look, your servants are being beaten, but it is your own people who are at fault. 17, you are slackers. That's why you are saying, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. No straw will be given to you. You must produce the same quantity of bricks. The Israelite foreman saw that they were in trouble, and when they were told that you cannot reduce your daily quota of bricks, when they left Pharaoh, they confronted Moses and Aaron. And they stood waiting to meet them. May the Lord take note of you and judge. Because you have made us reek to Pharaoh and his officials, putting a sword in their hand to kill us. Pharaoh has said to the people, You want more freedom? I'll give you less. That's what sends this to all of us. All of its promises and all of the things that cause us to run toward it. You want more freedom, I'll give you less. Think about how sin operates in your own heart when you hate someone or something. When you allow it to fester. There is never a point when the festering of that hatred offers any type of relief. It grows and 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 it grows grows incessantly. It's awful. What about Lust. How many of us, how many men have spent years bound up by pornography only to see it get worse and worse and worse? No relief. Only a heavier burden. The more in our world that we see humanity deny that it's made in the image of God, the more blatant our rebellion becomes. Sin oppressing us. Squeezing the life out of, it, of us all the while, while we think that it's promising to give life eventually. The Pharaoh is a tyrant. And in each and every one of us, sin is a tyrant. And left to our own devices, we will function as tyrants. 22. Moses is a tad bit embarrassed. He expected this to go a little bit better than it did and for people to be released and relieved. I'll just go in, say let them go. He'll let them go. We'll leave. Israel's giddy up and go. Got up and went. That's what we'll see. But that doesn't happen. So Moses went back to the Lord. And ask, hey, why have you caused trouble for this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I went into the Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's caused trouble for the people, and you have not rescued your people at all. The people are at a low place. Moses and Aaron are at low places. And we are forced to see this question, whose word is going to rule this world. And for every one of us, what really gets to rule your world? Because if left to yourself, your sin will not ever want to acknowledge Yahweh at all. But our God... Shows up at the lowest points, where Israel is, is the lowest point, and you get one of these hinge points in the scriptures in verse in chapter six. But the Lord replied to Moses, "That word, but the conjunction, conjunction, junction. What's your function? We know. Some of us, some of us don't, because you're too busy tick tocking." This conjunction is here. It's also in the book of Ephesians that we say as a church in the fall. But God who is rich in mercy, though we were dead and our trespasses has made us alive in Christ Jesus, here at the lowest point, at the point of suffering, almost to the point of death for these people, God shows up. The Exodus story is an illustration of the good news as I said earlier because each and every one of us are captives to sin and there will be times when staying in our sin seems easier than leaving it. There will be times for every person in this room where staying in your sin will be easier than walking away from it to the point that you will even yearn for it that you will find your identity in it. But the Lord replied to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my strong hand, he will let them go. And because of a strong hand, he will drive them from his land. So God is going to rescue a people who seemingly are at the point where they don't want to be rescued. Because that's what God does in the life of every believer. He interacts and intersects with us where sin has proven itself to be a daunting taskmaster. And he invites us to leave that, all the while empowering us to take the steps. This is the good news of Jesus. The words there, a strong hand, don't quite convey what's taking place in the original language. In the original language, it actually says a greater might. God is bringing... Israel to the place where they will go face to face with Egypt. And God will display himself to be greater than Pharaoh. Pharaoh will bow down before Yahweh. God's patience with his people even has a patience with Pharaoh, oddly enough, in the passage, it seems. Verse 2, Then God spoke to Moses, telling him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But I was not known to them by name, the Lord. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of of Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves. I've remembered my promise. I've remembered my covenant. God showed himself in the book of Genesis. And if you'll remember, if you were with us two weeks ago, when you're in the book of Exodus, you're starting with the word and, connecting you to the book of Genesis. Here we see that continuation. I was God Almighty, El Shaddai, maybe a term that some of you are familiar with. I was that God in in the book of Genesis, and I'm still that God, but I'm going to reveal even more of myself to you. I'm not just God Almighty, I'm more. I'm not just God who sits and reigns on high as if he does not care about the plight of human existence. I'm more than that. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the forced land of the uh, labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery. Verse 6, four words, I will redeem you. If God doesn't redeem us, then we are not redeemed. If God does not make right what is taking place in our sinful, wicked hearts, then that will not be made right. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, foreshadowing, displaying for us that God would reach into our broken world in the great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. You're going to know it was me. And for every believing person in this room, we have a a story that resembles that, reflects that, hopefully says that. That though sin had reigned and ruled over us, the freedom we've been given in the outstretched arm of Yahweh, Jesus himself has freed us. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. This phrase, I am the Lord, is thus says the Lord, over and over and over and over why then is Yahweh the Lord, one commentator says? In what ways do we see these verses supply what was held back in Genesis and extend to us what was taught when he said, I am who I am? Well, we see these in verses 4, 5, 6, and 8 in this way. In verse 4, we see that Yahweh keeps his word. In verse 5, we see that Yahweh fills the, the woes of his people. In verse 6, we see that he sets us free. In verse 6 and verse 7, we see that he brings us close. In verse 8, we see this Yahweh, this God who loves a people who are affected and impacted by sin, he will lead us home. Well, what do we need when, we, when life is hard or sin is strong? I think that's the question we have to ask. When the world seems to be overwhelming us we are as if we are oppressed by sin and we cannot free ourselves from it, what do we need to hear? We, need, we don't need to be told that we can get ourselves together and pick ourselves up by our bootstraps because in God's economy there are no boots. In God's economies, you don't even have hands to grab them. We need a deeper understanding of God. God doesn't just keep his word for the believer in Jesus. He keeps his word to you. When the weight of the broken nature of our world and the sin-shattered remnants are there, he feels your pain. He sets you free. He draws you close. He will lead you home. So Moses is in now. He is pounding his chest. He is ready to do war with Pharaoh. I will be a spokesperson to this Pharaoh. I will do what you got. got out in. Boom, boom. So he goes to the Israelites. Have you ever saw that? You go to your team? You go to your people to encourage them? You won't believe what I just saw. You won't believe what I just heard. And when he gets there... They didn't listen to him because of their broken spirit and hard labor. Moses was encouraged, but God's people weren't. Let's be transparent. It is hard to respond to good news as we should when we are in a broken and crushed state. The reason that we as followers of Jesus want to see the good news of Jesus spread to this community, to this nation in the pockets where it's not, and to the ends of the earth is because we believe the only hope of the world is this good news, this ultimate good news that God has given us in His Son Jesus. When people are walking through hunger, Through difficult poverty, through shame, through slavery. Those are hard things to hear that God is for you, but we stay with people. It takes Israel forever to realize that they are free. And even in this space right now, I know good and well, there are many of us who are believers in Jesus, but we're still trying to convince ourselves that God has set us free. We're in the cycles of sin that we can't escape. For, but God has said, "I've set you free. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go from this land. That's verse 10. But Moses said in the Lord's presence... If the Israelites will not listen to me, then how will Pharaoh listen to me, since I am such a poor speaker? That's kind of his deal. Every time things go bad, he reminds God that he stutters. As if God didn't make his mouth. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. He gave them commands concerning both the Israelites and Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to bring Israelites out of the land of Egypt. When you get to verses 14 through 25, we see that our God reminds His people that He's consistent. That He's not just showed up out of nowhere. That He's been with the people of Israel all along. And if you read 14 through 25, you have what's called a chronology. We can overlook these names at times. But it is a history of the faithfulness of God. God to a people who had no idea who he was in full. And God reminds them, all the stuff with Joseph, I was there. All of Joseph's brothers, I was there. When Joseph bragged about his little jacket, I was there. I was always there. And I was there when you were made Moses and when you were made Aaron. I was there and I put together this story and I've been weaving this story together and I've not stopped weaving it because I, God Almighty, am God the one who will redeem His people. And for every person in this space who has this sense that there is a God, I need you to know that if you understand there is a God, that is wonderful, but you need to know that that God wants to redeem you. If we don't grasp redemption, we don't get God. 26. It was this Aaron and Moses whom the Lord told. Bring the Israelites out of Egypt according to their military divisions. Moses and Aaron were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, in order to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Verse 28. On that day, the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt. He said, I am the Lord Tell Pharaoh king of Egypt everything that I'm telling you let me make myself abundantly clear you don't get to have these people. And for every one of us who have been freed from sin but have found ourselves bound in the bondage of it I want you to hear that Yahweh God Almighty has said I want you to hear me and I want it to be made abundantly clear to you sin does not get to have you. And for every person in this room who is apart from Jesus, outside of a right relationship with God, through through the work of Christ, the wages of sin, it's death. But if you will hear the voice of God, he will say, sin does not get to have you when you trust my son. Verse 30, verse 28, rather verse 30. But Moses replied to the Lord, since I'm such a poor speaker... How will Pharaoh listen to me? We then get incarnational foreshadowing. Because the Lord says to Moses, See, I've made you like God to Pharaoh. This Pharaoh doesn't get me. But he's going to think you are me. His brother, he'll speak on your behalf. Verse 2. You must say whatever I command you. I love that. Just because I've made you like God doesn't mean you are. And then Aaron, your brother, must declare it to Pharaoh so that he will let the Israelites go from the land. That's the point. We're going to let them go. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the lands of Egypt. That that phrase, hardening of hearts, can trip up a lot of people. So let's not let it. What hardening of hearts means is that God hardened his heart. Ten times in the story, God does do that. He says, I hardened his heart. 10 other times it says that Pharaoh does it. So there's this tension there between the providence of God and the will of a human being. Sin has not just broken the world, it has impacted us in full. Two times God says, I will. It's foreshadowing. The next seven are Pharaoh. displaying Pharaoh's stubborn heart. Verse 4. Pharaoh won't listen to you, but I'll put my hand into Egypt and bring the military divisions of my people and the Israelites out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out of my hand against Egypt and bring out the Israelites from among them. This is Yahweh saying to his people, I'm going to deliver you. And I'm going to keep using this military language, but let's be transparent. These men have Nerf guns. They've got nothing if God's not with them. But if they will turn their attention to the fact that God is with them, they will realize that they have more than enough We have a battle between Pharaoh and Yahweh. It's not really a battle at all. Today as a faith family, there are going to be a few things that happen. We're going to take communion as we do each week. And when we take communion, we are celebrating that Yahweh, God himself, has power over everything. And the way that he shows his faithful consistency to us, is through the ultimate incarnation, the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. And there is no hope apart from that. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, whether you're a member of Grace Bible or not, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you're invited to take communion. If you're not a believer in Jesus, just don't take communion. Just don't. Because it's not communion for you because there's nothing that you're really remembering. There's not a covenant that you're celebrating. But for believers, I want you to take communion because that is where we say, God, I know, I know that you have power over sin and death and over all the wickedness that I deal with each and every day. That's first. So we're going to take communion. Jared will guide us through all of that in just a moment. And I want you to follow his lead after we have taken communion as a church, there will come a point where we are baptizing today. We have three people who have made professions of faith and they want to declare publicly to us as a faith family that they are followers of Jesus. But on top of that, that's incredible and amazing and wonderful and we are going to celebrate that. If you were here as a believer in Jesus... And you've never placed your faith in the broken body. and the, If you're a believer in Jesus and you have never displayed your faith through baptism, we as a church teach that the most consistent way that we see someone saying they follow you is baptism. We believe the Bible takes us there. So if you're here and you have been wrestling with whether or not you should be baptized, I'm going to have four, three or four people over here on my left-hand side. They would love to talk to you if you would like to be baptized today. I would love for you to go talk to one of them. You may think, hey man, I don't want to get my shirt wet. This has starch on it. That's okay. We have shirts. We have shorts. We have towels. I think Jared picked up drawers for men. There is all kinds of stuff for your baptism today. We want to celebrate the good thing that God has done in your life and we want you to be able to make that public because we that's consistently what the Scriptures teach. If you're not in relationship with Jesus... We would love for you to talk to one of these folks up here. We would love for them to share with you who Jesus is. I'm in the back right hand corner of the room. You can come talk to me. We believe that this is an opportunity for us to be baptized today. If you are a believer in Jesus who's never made a profession of faith through baptism, we invite you to that. If you would like to place your trust in Christ, I want you to meet with one of my group leaders, one of my leaders over here. I want you to bow your heads with me right now. In the event that you've never placed your faith in Christ, but you believe that you should, that's incredible. That's incredible. I want to guide you through something. If you are in this space and you have never placed your faith in the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, would you pray this or something like this? Jesus, I am a captive to my sin and I cannot free myself from it. The only way that my sin will release me is if it hears you say, let me go. Let him go. So Jesus, I'm going to place my trust in your broken body. I'm going to place my faith in your shed blood. I'm going to place my faith in you. So Jesus, you save me. You save me, Jesus. Our heads are still bowed. I'm going to ask for the folks that I've talked to to come over here and go to my left-hand side. That someone needs to come talk to you during this next song over these next two or three songs oh one more time as they move if you've never placed your faith in Christ Jesus I am a captive to my sin and I need you to save me from it through your broken body through your shed blood We ask all this in your name, Jesus. If you need to talk to one of my friends to my left-hand side, or feel free if you would like to talk to me. I'm in the back right-hand corner of the room for the next few moments.